All right, we're going to have some fun tonight. We get to uh, wrap up tonight with the last few months, and I'm excited about tonight. But I need some volunteers. I need three volunteers. Got one. anybody to panic, but we're just going to uh, just have a little moment. No sugar, no calories, little fizz, that's about it. All right, I'd like you all to come over here. Which class would you like? You want this one, okay? Go ahead. Men first. All right. Now, I want you just to take a sip. Just take a sip. Everybody got a sip? Now go ahead and put your glasses right back up here in order so you'll know who drank out of which one. <clears throat> no? You got to come over here. You're on this side. There you go. That way, wherever you're standing is where your cup's going to be. Now, stand right in front of that stool. I have a salt shaker here. You can't look back. All right. I want you all to turn around. I want you all to take a sip and tell me who got the salt. <laughs> what? You didn't taste any salt? Did you get salt in yours? No. No? No salt? What would you say if I told you there was salt 
in every one of those glasses. What would you do if I told you I put the salt in there before I ever came up and poured anything in it? Would you believe me? You're welcome to take those with you if you want. You, would you like to stay here while I preach? Tonight, I want to share a little bit about the integrity of God's Word. And I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. You know, I was thinking the song we sang first kind of reminded me of an individual because it talked about a hiding place. How many of you have ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? I had the privilege of meeting and sitting down with Corey in 1975 and talking about the entire aspects of the hiding place. And for those of you that aren't familiar with her story, uh, during World War II, during the Holocaust, she and her family hid a lot of individuals that were Jews or Christians, whoever needed help in hiding, and they had a special place in their home that they hid people in so that if they were ever, if the, if the Nazis ever came and asked about anybody in the house, they could let them in and they would never find them. She had a tremendous testimony. And when I thought about the hiding place, I thought about how many people in the world today would love to have a copy of this? The Word of God that they could hold and have. And how many over the years have given their lives for this? I finished a book a couple weeks back. I think uh, John Moon recommended it. It's called The Heavenly Man. And I, I finished it that weekend about a gentleman that had been tortured severely in China for his faith and how they longed for the Word of God. They wanted it more than anything. Well, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 reads like this, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments, we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Father, tonight I thank you so very much for your word. I thank you for the power contained within it. I thank you for your delivering power, your healing power. Father, your vision, the wisdom that you give to us, what an honor it is just to be in your presence. We thank you for the time we have together tonight, for it is in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. 
Now, I remember, some of you may, a notable assassination. And it was an incident concerning a gentleman by the name of Georgi Markov. And it happened in London in 1978. Markov was a Bulgarian dissident writer and a broadcaster, and he was critical of the Bulgarian government. He criticized the communism. He criticized the way things were being done. And on September 7th of 1978, he was waiting for a bus in London, and he was waiting for it at, at, on the Waterloo Bridge. And then suddenly he felt a sharp pain in his right thigh. And he turned around. It felt like he'd gotten pricked by a needle or something. He turned around, and right after he felt the pain, he saw a man picking up an umbrella that had dropped to the ground. And it was witnessed by many people. They all saw what was going on. But nobody thought anything about it. They didn't look at the man because an umbrella is a pretty harmless thing. It's just an everyday object. But unbeknownst to Markov, he'd been targeted by an assassin who used a concealed mechanism inside an umbrella to shoot a tiny pellet into his leg. And the shell was about the size of a pinhead. Imagine that, size of a pinhead. And it was filled with a deadly substance known as ricin. Within four days, by September 11th, 1978, he was dead. The investigation into the assassination definitively showed that the umbrella was the weapon because it had been picked up. They knew exactly how it was delivered, but it didn't change the fact that he died. Now, they've never figured out who the assassin was. But ricin is so deadly that less than a grain of salt was all it took to kill him. I want you to think about it. less than a grain of salt. There was a bunch of grains that just came out there. But less than a grain of salt killed him. Now, for all of those of you that got your cups, I did put salt in every one of them. And I put salt, one grain of salt, in every cup before I got up here. Now, had that been ricin, you would all succumb to death in about three or four days. Everybody's going, wow, such an uplifting message. I'm so glad I'm here tonight. But when I ask you if there was salt in your glass, everybody said, no, it tastes the same. And I want you to see that in the world we live in, the enemy works just like that. 
He's not going to make anything that's going to come blatantly at you to where you can recognize and go, that's bad. He's going to drop just a little in. Because if he can do that, he gets to win. Now, do you have me some more cups? I need three more. Three more volunteers. Actually, one volunteer. I need one volunteer. Now, in one of these cups is poison. It will kill you within three days. But in one of them is eternal life, and you'll live forever. And in the third one, there's nothing. It'll just be a drink of bubbly. Which one would you like? Huh? Far right, you're sure? That's the one you want. Go ahead. Would you like any more? <laughs> You're not a teetotaler. Suck that down. We got a teetotaler over here. You need to suck that down. Now, why did you do that? One was life, one was nothing, one was death. So, why would you do that? Huh? So you figured if you add life and death together, it equals nothing. Okay. Do you think he's right? Remember what I told you about a little bit of poison? Do you think the amount there made a difference? Let me put it a different way. Do you think that I would ever poison you? So maybe you combined them all because you didn't believe there was ever any poison in any one of those. It had nothing to do with what was in the glass. It had everything to do with your belief in whether I would poison you or not. 
Thank you. See, when there's a confidence in whom you've believed, not in what you see naturally, that makes all the difference. The enemy wants to get your mind focused on all of this, what you can see, and not on what you believe. But we know in whom we've believed. And we're persuaded that He's able to keep us. So because of that, it wouldn't matter what was in these cups because I would never poison you. And you believe that. I'll just take them all. I was thirsty anyway. <laughs> By the way, the three of you did get salt. But it was just one granule. In every cup. And you couldn't tell the difference. You drank it all because you had faith that I would not poison you. You know, we have the ability to defeat all the poison of the enemy. Every lie, every deception... Everything that he would try to do, we have the ability to destroy the effects of any poison he would throw at us. What does it take? Well, so far we've learned a lot of different things over the last few weeks. I mean, if you think about what we've taken a look at, Once we recognize the tactics of the enemy, it's easy to beat him. It's easy. It's not difficult. It's easy. See, we've looked at the foundations in Christ, the necessity of the Word of God in our life, the making proper choices, responding to the enemy's challenges, enduring when you're doing everything right and it seems like all hell broke loose. How to avoid distractions, reaping the rewards of a steadfast, committed lifestyle and binary truths in sharing this gospel. And when we put them all together, we start developing on the inside of us the ability and the confidence to know in whom we've believed. And that there is nothing that he can throw at you that can defeat you. There's not one thing the enemy has in his arsenal that he's not already used. We are in a war. But it's a war we've already won. It's not one we have to think about as if, oh, I hope I win here. No, you've already won because of Jesus. You've already overcome because of Him. It's not something you're trying to obtain. It's something that's already on the inside of you. You know, we live in a natural world and it's easy to fix our gaze on this. Because we see it every day. Situations and circumstances we see every day. I would suggest this. That if you're facing something in your life tonight, 
it might even seem like it would kill you. Between Sunday service and tonight, I've dealt with three different situations of suicide. And all of it was right here. Because their eyes were fixed on all of this. Now, I'm not saying these don't exist. These are real. I can... They're real. Those are real situations. And they can seem overwhelming. But just as easily as I did that, you can too. Oh, but pastor, if you just knew... I don't need to know your situation. I know who does. I'm not your savior. I didn't go to the cross for you. Pastor Paul mentioned it just a little bit earlier. Jesus went to the cross. And he did so. And when he did so, he gave us the authority of heaven to stand against anything that the enemy would try and do. Anything. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, 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 nothing. Everybody hold your hand out. Open it up. And what do you see? The apostle Paul said that Satan was made not for us. Not is King Jameseth for nothing. I noticed that when everybody held their hand out and opened it up, nobody shrieked, nobody screamed, nobody got up and ran. Why? Because nobody was afraid of nothing. That's the confidence you have. That's the confidence you have in the one that loves you. It's only when we try to handle things on our own We get nervous and we start buying or we start eating or we start drinking. And I'm not talking of physical eat and drink, but into our minds, into our soul, we begin to eat and drink those things that are poisonous because they're contrary to the word of God. Paul said in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12, finally, everybody say finally. Finally. Why do you think he said finally? What does finally mean? It's the end. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It's amazing how many people today want to jump into Ephesians 6 and latch on to the finally before they've done the firstly. You can't do the finally if you haven't done the firstly. Any, any contractors in here? Any builders? Okay, how about anybody who's ever built anything? Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys. Okay, we got, we got some of you in here. You've done that. How many of you started with the roof? No, why didn't you start there? There's nothing to put it on. You've got to have a foundation. Then you've got to build the walls before you ever get to the roof. But too often we want to go to the finally before we do the firstly. Now, I'm going to give you something tonight so you can celebrate your victory. The first three chapters in the book of Ephesians deal with who you are in Christ. Know what it says. Who are you? 
When you get that on the inside of you, then you get to progress into chapter 4. And what does he say in chapter 4? He says, oh, by the way, walk worthy of the call that you've been called. You need to know who you are, but once you know who you are, get busy. Go do something. It's not just so that Pastor Barb can use you in some way because she needs help. It's because when you're busy doing the things of the Lord, knowing who you are, you don't have time for the things that would take your mind down destructive paths. You're occupied. You're occupying till he comes. You're, you're doing what God has asked you to do. You're right in the middle of his will. And then what does he say? You've got to endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He never said maintain unity of doctrine. Doesn't mean we don't strive for doctrine. The word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction. The word is good for all of that. But he knew that if we could maintain the unity of the spirit, everything else will fall into line. But we can get our eyes over here on the things that don't really make that much difference. The disciples tried it. We saw them casting out devils and we forbid them because they weren't one of us. We're not sure they have the right doctrine. I was reading some things earlier this week from some of the early church fathers. And it's amazing how they stressed one thing. The cross. It was all about the cross. All about Jesus. All these other things to them were ancillary. But the cross is the one thing we cannot violate. We cannot violate the value or the worth of the only begotten son of the living God who came and died and shed his blood for each one of us. That is non-negotiable. But there's not anybody who's ever stood in this pulpit or any pulpit that hasn't realized years later, I probably shouldn't have said that. It's kind of like getting on a roller coaster. And you just start going like this. And I've been with people. When you get to the top and they're just having fun and then that thing crests. And they're like... I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, I don't want to... <laughs> That's preaching. It's all fun till you get up there and crest, and you're going, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. <laughs> See what you got forward to look to, Chad? So he said, know who you are, find your place in the body of Christ. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to do it on your own. I've given a five-fold ministry to help you. I've given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so they can equip you to do everything you need to do. You're going to be effective in the body. You're going to be effective in the world. I didn't leave you alone. Jesus, when he left his disciples, said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit your comforter, your advocate, your standby, your guide, your counselor. 
I'm going to send him. Because you got to understand, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. And the reason you're do, going to do greater things is because the greater one will dwell within each one of you. Where Jesus was one man in one place at one time through the Holy Spirit, he's everywhere. Do you realize that no matter how dark the world seems, there is only one organization that's in every neighborhood in the world, and that's the church of the living God. In the darkest, bleakest places, regardless of what's going on, God's got representatives there today, tonight. And yet... We have a tendency to think the devil's going to overthrow us. No, he's not. You're the child of the king. You're the one that has authority. He quakes in his boots when you show up. Let me put it another way. I showed you the illustration of what a little bit of poison would do. You realize the enemy always works the same way? There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. He always works the same way. How does he do it? You go back to Genesis chapter 3. In fact, I'm going to be a little out of, out of line here, Titus, but go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say? The enemy always does, does the same thing. He'll question your knowledge of the word. He's going to question it. Did God say? And if all you can say is, well, I heard Pastor Barb say that God said. Or I heard Pastor Paul say that God said. I heard one of the elders say that God said. You might be heading for an owie. But when Eve said, well, here's what God said, and she's echoing what she'd heard. The woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. He was close. It was close. God never said don't touch it. He just said don't eat it. In fact, they were supposed to touch it. They were supposed to take care of it. They were supposed to make sure that everything was well there, but they weren't supposed to eat the fruit of it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one that was forbidden to them. And the enemy comes in and he tempts you with what you believe you don't have that you will need to be successful. Think about it. Eve was a Proverbs 31 woman to the max. She carried all the virtues of a virtuous woman. And according to Proverbs 31, a virtuous woman always looks out for the very best. She wants the very best for her family. She wants the very best in her life. She gets up early in the morning. She's very industrious. She's going to bed late at night. And he goes, um... You've fallen a little short. Wasn't true. But he wanted her to have knowledge that God knew she wasn't supposed to have. 
that word means to know by experiencing. God never wants you to experience evil. You're to discern evil. How do you discern evil? It doesn't line up to good. This is good. That doesn't line up to it. Therefore, it must be. I should tell the truth. If something rises in me to not speak truthfully, but to speak a lie, it is evil. Why? It didn't line up to good. You don't have to go lie so that you can know, oh, lying's bad. No, it was bad before you did it. And when it doesn't line up to the good, you don't do it. That's pretty simple. That's why the Word of God says that He wrote His laws on their hearts. Because you know what you don't want somebody to do to you, so don't do it to anybody else. Why do you think Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? You don't want to be killed, don't kill nobody. See how easy it is? If it doesn't line up to truth, your word is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy by the word of God. This is truth. If it doesn't line up here, it's evil. And Satan said, let me show you evil. Because when you do, you're not going to die. I can give you all the cups in the world. You're not going to die. Don't, don't worry about little poison. You can't even taste it. Don't worry about it. You're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm, the deception of knowledge you don't need. The deception of participating in things you don't need. I had a woman approach me one day and she said, uh, Pastor, I'm writing a book on marriage. Kind of shook me. She was going through a divorce. And I knew it was her fifth one. And I said, you're doing what? She said, I'm writing a book on marriage. And I said, don't you think you ought to figure out how to have one first? Oh, no, I just believe God's leading me through all of this so I can write a book on it. No, you can write a book on divorce. You can write a book on telling me how marriages fail, but you can't write a book that I am even remotely interested on how to have a successful marriage. I don't need to participate in divorce to know that it's awful. I just have to look at truth of marriage. That's great. I look at couples that are married longer than I am and go, that's great. That's what I want. I'll go up to them, what is it that you did? I'll go to the guys, how is it that you've been, how long have, how, let's see how long some people have been married in here. Anybody married 30 plus years? One, two, three, 
Anybody 40 plus years? One. What's your secret? That's it. That's it. I get the same answer every time. Anything you want, dear. Anybody that's been married that long, yes, dear. As you wish, dear. Seen the Princess Bride? As you wish. That's, that is the key to a successful marriage. Why? Because you're always putting the other one first. You're putting them ab their needs above your needs. You would give them the world if it was within your grasp. How much more? When God looks at you and loves you, he said, I'll give you the world. I gave you my son so you could reclaim what the enemy came to steal. That's what I've given to you. You don't have to know the evil. You don't want your kids sick so they can learn that sickness is gross. You don't want your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters. You don't want anybody experiencing cancer. You want them well and whole and healed and walking in God's blessings. You don't have to experience the negative to know it's bad. But that was the deception of the enemy. Well, let me wrap this up. What was Paul saying in 2 Corinthians when he said this? You go back to our text. For though we walk in the flesh, listen, there's all kinds of garbage in the flesh. There's a natural realm that is riddled with disease. There's a natural realm that's riddled with negativity. There's a natural realm that's filled with so much. But you rise above it. We have any pilots in the room? Anybody that's ever flown other than me? <laughs> Let me tell you, there's, there's a thing we, we call the law of lift. The law of lift supersedes the law of gravity. Anything with enough thrust will fly. You can make a barn door fly for a while if you've got enough thrust. You can make a frisbee fly for a while if you've got enough what? Right, it's, it's a principle. And the law of lift will supersede the law of gravity. Gravity is a law. If I step off this platform, I'm coming down. There's a lot of other laws at play if I do that. The law of age. <laughs> I may not want to try it. You don't want to pick me up off the floor and I don't want to break anything. Thank you. Cecil, he's interceding for me right now. Brother, do not jump off that platform. You are no longer Superman. But something in my mind says I am. But no matter how much I think I am, the law of gravity will still go into effect the moment I step off. I know that. See, there's a law of sin and death. But there's a law of perfect liberty that we have in Christ that supersedes the law of sin and death. I get to soar in Him. I get to rise above all of that because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3. 
Though we're walking in the flesh, we're not waging war that way. Don't fight like they fight. We're not talking about people. Hear me, I'm not talking about people. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Ephesians 6, finally, finally, the last thing. You're finally going to get there. Ephesians 4, you've got the fivefold ministry. Ephesians 5, you've got to submit one to another in the fear of the Lord. You've got to be faithful to your employees, your employers. You've got to be faithful. You, there's a faithfulness in the house of God. Ephesians 6, when you finally get there, children, obey your parents. Dads, don't tick them off. And then, finally, now you can get to the spirit realm. Get your act together in the natural realm, lining up to truth before you go out and try to fight with devils. Why? They'll beat the daylights out of you if you don't have this down. All you have to do is go to Acts chapter 19 and look at the seven sons of Sceva who tried to do it with their house being out of order. Whoa. It's the law of age. <laughs> it's a little kick in there. So what does he say? We're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Everybody say divine power. The weapons you have are divine. That means they're in line with God. They're from Him. They're divine. They're not yours. You can't create these. You can only operate in them. They're a gift that's been given to you. Don't try and create divinity. Receive it with humility. I'm going to take His divinity into my life because... My weapons are not carnal, but they're divine power to destroy strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a place that's been fortified so as to protect it against an attack. We need to be fortified. We need to have a stronghold that's in God, not in the world. I'm not trying to fortify myself against the world. I've been sent into the world with the gospel of Jesus. So I'm not going to fortify myself against them. I'm going to lift up the man, the women that are in the world, and I'm going to come against the spirit that is at work in this age. You don't get to operate. These people are going to be set free. We're coming in. If you think one little kernel of the enemy's lies can destroy truth... What will one light do to the darkness? See, yours is much greater. The Apostle Paul said, when, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. No matter how much sin the enemy could throw in your world or in your life or what you've been through, it's nothing compared to the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that was shed for you to set you free. Woo! I'm preaching myself happy. Why? Because I know what God is doing. I'm not going to cower from the lies and the deception of the enemy. I'm not going to buy his little ricin pill. I'm going to take my gossip pill and make him eat it by watching me take one by one by one by one right out of the kingdom of darkness. I had the brother of one of the individuals that was looking to commit suicide. He texted me and he said, thank you so much for reaching out. He said, I know how busy you are. 
I texted him back and I said, we must never lose sight of the individual while trying to reach the masses. Because the masses are made up of the individual. A thousand of light means nothing if we forget the name that's on the bulb. There's names on these bulbs. And those names matter to somebody. <laughs> they matter to God. They matter to the person that wrote their name on that bulb. Strongholds that the enemy has tried to put up in our minds, the divine power of God tears them down. Arguments, it destroys arguments. What's an argument? An argument is just a reason or a set of reasons given with the aim of persuading others that their action or idea is wrong. That's how the enemy operates. Your ideas are wrong. You stand for this, you're wrong. That's an argument. We're not wrong. This is the only truth that has stood for millennia. The only one. There's no other truth that has existed like this truth. He said, you will destroy opinions. What's an opinion? It's a view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based in fact or knowledge. And our weapons are mighty to pull all of that down and release the goodness of God. You are that grain of salt that will go into the society and change it. You are that light in darkness that will change it. You are. The next time you feel afraid, you pull out your hand and you look at it. There's nothing there. And nobody's afraid of nothing. When we see it for what God sees it like, everything changes. Everything changes. And you are the change agents. Amen. Let's stand up. Father, that we would be so in love with your word we would easily see we would easily discern what is contrary to you because we know you and it's just not in your nature to do certain things we thank you for your word for the strength that's in it 
Thank you, Jesus. Now, there's a few of you in here tonight that you needed some encouragement. You felt like your world was falling apart. There's not a one of us in this room that haven't felt like our worlds were falling apart. But I want you to know your world is secure in Jesus. Oh, but what if this happens? Don't, don't let worry get the best of you. You waste your life worrying. The Cornell University study said 85% of what people worried about never happened. Of the remaining 15%, I think it was 78% or something, was not near as bad as they thought it was going to be or they found out they learned a great lesson through it. Only 3% overall ever rose to the level they thought it might get to. Another way of saying it is 97% of the time it was nothing. So don't worry. Jesus put it like this, take no thought for tomorrow. There's enough evil in it. Rehearsing the past won't take you into your future. Living in the future will rob you of today. When I was in the Navy, that's when God called me to full-time ministry. I didn't know it was ever going to be like this. But I knew that his call was on my life. And I got so focused on going into ministry, I did everything in my power to go into ministry right then. I wanted out of the military. I talked to everybody I could, and they said, this is how you have to do it. Get letters from all your pastors, recommendation, and we'll get it in, and all that kind of stuff. And I got letters. My pastors wrote me back glowing reports, except one. That was my current pastor. And he sent my letter back to me. I was in the middle of the Indian Ocean when I got it. And it was all marked in red. Just like he'd corrected a term paper. And he said, Lonnie, you're so focused on going into ministry. You're missing all the ministry that's around you right now. You're so focused on tomorrow, you can't see today. He said something at the end of that letter I'll never forget. He said, please don't name the name of my God again because you don't know him. Now let me tell you, when you're 10,000 miles from home, and the only letter you get from somebody who really loves you is like, don't ever do that again because you don't know God. Oh. But I needed that. I needed that reproof in my life. I needed him to say, you're missing it, son. You're really good at what you do, but you're missing it here. And if you don't get this straight, 
you'll never be effective in ministry because you won't see the individual. You won't see what's next to you every day. You'll always be looking out there for something to happen. I want to challenge us today. If you've been here and you've been going through a tough time and you've been focused on the plastic cups, kick them out of your way. Go spend some time with the Father. Get on your knees before Him and don't get up till it's resolved. And start looking at the one to your left, the one to your right, your brothers and sisters in the Lord because they're standing with you. And then when you get out there, look to the left and the right for those that need what's on the inside of you. I don't have much. I don't know what to say. You've got more than a grain of salt. You've got a testimony. Here's what happened to me. The whole Celebrate Recovery... When you see them all stand up here with their signs, it's not because they're literary or biblical geniuses, because none of us are. But what you saw was a testimony. A testimony on every one, on every sign. This is my testimony. This is what God did in my life. That's all you need. And you might be the only one with the testimony that that person needs to hear right then. Amen. Father, I thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I believe you've already done a work in hearts and lives. Make this word echo in their ears. May they never forget the strength and the power that they have on the inside of them. All that you have done for all of us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only son to die for us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. If there's anybody here tonight that would say, I've never made Jesus Lord of my life, I want you just to slip your hand up very quickly. I want to pray with you. You've never made that decision to become a Christian, to make Jesus Lord, to be born again. But you know you need a change. The way I'm going about it isn't working. If there's anybody here in that boat, I want to pray with you tonight. Just slip your hand up very quickly and say, that's me. And I will pray with you before we leave tonight. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? It takes a lot of boldness to be in the midst of a group and raise a hand and say, that's me. But Jesus said, when you do that, I'll confess you before my Father. <laughs> Jesus just came alongside of you. And I want us to pray this prayer together. For that one that lifted their hand, we're going to pray with them and believe God with them. Let's all say this together. Dear God, I know that I've made mistakes. And I know they were sin in your eyes. But I ask you to forgive me. I do believe that Jesus is your only son. That he came and died for me. So I could have a new life.
I make Jesus Lord of my life in this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody just give the Lord a shout. If they can party in heaven, we can party right here. Thank God for one. And there are masses out there waiting for you. Please come and see me right afterwards if you raised your hand. I want to give you some information. I want to see you get plugged in, get some help. We love you all. Have a wonderful evening. Sunday morning, be here, 10 a.m. You don't want to miss. And remember, come early, park far, sit close. Amen. Love you all.